Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to showcase the many different paths that one can take to start and grow a business. Today, my guest is Grammy-nominated songwriter and producer Chris Cernell. Chris has written songs that appeared on Lego Batman, Lego Ninjago. He's written for Weezer, for CeeLo Green, for Jason Derulo, and the list goes on and on. This was a really great conversation. We, we first dive into his original band, which is how I found him, and we spend some time sort of reminiscing on, on those days and how he, how he built a business out of his band at a time that was really, really ahead of the curve. Like he, he was doing some really interesting things in terms of branding and um, promoting his band that I think even now, almost, what, 15 years later, there's so much to learn from his approach. This was an awesome conversation. I am really excited to share this one with you. And we dive into everything from those early days in the rock band to um, songwriting and producing all the way up until today. So I know you didn't get a lot out of this episode. So without further ado, my conversation with Chris Cernell. What happened was Mike posted the, um, what is it? Making the band Coca-Cola commercial. Yeah. And I was just like, what is going what on? Is <laughs> like, that just came out of nowhere for me. Cause I didn't even, I don't even know if I knew him well enough to know that he was a drummer at that time. Like I think it was okay. pretty early, but yeah. um, that was one of the things that I was really curious about. And guess we'll, We'll dive into it, but how did that come about? That that was so that was funny too. Um, Mike was in the okay, so we had there was a there was a first version of Escape from Earth, and a couple of members laughed, and and we're all best friends now, and everything's fine. But so anyway, we needed a new drummer and guitar player, and I had there was a competition for Coca Cola and MTV, like making the band. It was like it was tied into the making the band TV show. And they wanted to find a band because that was like a pop show, but they they wanted to come up with bands. So you had to submit why your band should be, I don't know, what's the story behind your band and why you should be whatever. So I wrote up like a crazy essay about how I was a CPA and I went to college and I followed, played the, played the game that my mom wanted me to play. And then I said, F that, I want to go be in a band. And, you know, here we are, we work with you know, all these big producers and we've had some success and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so that was all kind of happening while we're in between members. I'm just, you know, working. I'm like, we'll figure this member thing out. So, um, you know, I get a call like, hey, you're in the final five for this Coca-Cola thing. Like, you know, just stay tuned, whatever. And and Mike and Scott joined the band and we're just rehearsing and getting ready. So like literally after like maybe it was less than a month of these two new guys being in the band, like, hey, guys, we're flying to New York. They're putting us up in in the Four Seasons in the, uh, New York City Times Square. We're gonna we're gonna be on stage at this like Ryan Cabrera. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Uh, like Teen People event. You're gonna shoot a commercial over the weekend uh, for Coca Cola and MTV, and you know they're gonna take you out, and you're gonna have a Teen People spread and all this stuff. So literally, they're in the band for one month, and like <laughs> an unbelievable like thing comes through. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. So. It was great. It was totally crazy. And it was a lot of fun. And I, I remember she's like, Hey, you're only supposed to be here for like two days, but she's like, we had to like delay one of the things. So like, we're going to have to, unfortunately, she says, we're gonna have to keep you up here for like five days. Is, is that okay? Don't worry. We'll cover all your expenses. Like free nice. trip to New York. Like, so 
So we got it like a, so we like, we all flew our, at the time, our girlfriends out and stuff too. It was, it was, it was amazing. Anyway, so that was their, their christening into the band was, Hey, so you joined our band and now we're going to New York and we're going to have all these things. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Like, and it I was mean, pretty wild. before that point, what kind of, um, notoriety did you have? Because you were already, what year was that? Do you know, do you remember offhand? That was like, that's 2000, maybe Five. Okay, I, yeah. I'm guessing. So you're like four, maybe five, like four or five years into the band at that point, right? You know, I mean, like there was like there was like early the first two one or two years of the band were like just us figuring it out. We sucked at the time, and it was like you know, what's your sound going to be? What what is everything going to look like? But like after a couple years of figuring that out, we kind of figured it out a little bit and got got pretty good. Um, you know, we we had played Metro probably a bunch of times. Actually we did. We played Metro headline Metro a bunch of times. We had showcased for a bunch of labels. Um, I would say got very close to record deals from on a couple different things. Like we had, they were flying in the bosses, bosses and like, this is it, you know, Hey, we're going to get something. And we had worked with um, Ray DeLeo who had produced filter stuff. And then Bob Ezrin who produced Pink Floyd's the wall and kiss nice. and Alice Cooper and, and everybody in the sun. And, and so we had like, we had reached, you know, a point where it was like, I don't know what more we can do as an unsigned local band beyond that. And, and, you know, I was like, so it was a little bit discouraging, like, man, we've had all this like seeming success and we can't get a record deal at the time. That was just sort of the, the Holy grail, I guess. But, um, and then, you know, a couple of members left the band and then these, you know, Mike and Scott joined and then all of a sudden we're on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it was, it was, that was bizarre. I mean, it was great. And I mean that like, escape from earth history is all like bizarre like like i can't i kind of can't believe some of the things we were able to accomplish and i'm not actually sure we deserve some of them but they happened all the same <laughs> well that so. was the thing because when you were doing that i was still working my day job and really interested in like branding and marketing yeah. and sort of building a business so i really yeah i I loved everything you were doing because by that, uh, maybe yeah. second, the second album I know of, I don't know if there was one before, um, at the very beginning, but the, uh, what is it? The Brown one. Who do I have to kill? Maybe is that? Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with that one, you ended up doing your own cupcake records. You had like your launch yeah. party and stuff. I just loved the brand just flowing through there. Um, yeah. What, what was the impetus for doing your own record label? Because I feel like you were a little like yeah. ahead of the game on that. Yeah, I think I mean I think it ties back to what I was saying. We had we had played the game of, you know, we worked with all these big producers and and sold out Metro and played House of Blues and we toured with some big bands and all that and and it was like I don't even know what else we could do. So it was like for a record label, what else do you want? We don't know what else you want. So, and like you said, I think we'd been kind of we marketing's always been a, a maybe a side hustle passion for me. I can get more into that too with, with the next project after that. But it was like, let's just do this ourselves. We, you know, like instead of relying on other people to decide that we've been picked and chosen to, to succeed, like, forget it. We have enough of a fan base. We have enough things happening. We have enough mark, like, you know, the Coke thing, suddenly you're, you're on, I mean, I'm getting millions of impressions every day, every, every time that thing aired on MTV. So it was like, we've got a big fan base and there's a lot of people. So let's just put it out ourselves. So it was like, Let's, you know, let's, uh, yeah, make the record ourselves, put it out ourselves, just do it, do it our own way. And that was, that was kind of where we were at. And it was a lot, I mean, it was a ton of fun. We had, were you ever at Cupcake Fest? 
I think I was. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't remember <laughs> offhand. It's been so many years now because I was probably yeah. No, I mean maybe. Like, I don't even like this is this is all coming back to me, and I'm not even <laughs> sure how because I it's but it's it's a little fuzzy. Um, but we had the like the initial record release party was Cupcake Fest one, where we had we like I think we had it at Metro, and I think we bought like. 800 cupcakes and like if you know with admission you could go get a cupcake <laughs> so and we had like two or three or maybe maybe it was four or five different cupcake fests but yeah so we we did that and we're like let's just run with this ourselves and and have fun with it and cup, cupcake records was our thing yeah it was um so. were there any specific inspirations that you found for doing that i and we're gonna definitely fast forward in a minute but i don't know this is, yeah i love this time I'm trying to think of like, I think I was into like Johnny Cupcakes was a t-shirt brand. Yeah. So the cupcake thing kind of, and I was like, okay, that's a different, different industry. So like the cupcake thing, like maybe that, that was like maybe a, a slight impetus for it. Um, but beyond that, like every Metro show, we'd have like giveaways, like the person that could bring in the most people to the show, we would give away like guitars and stuff. I mean, cause you know, like if you, if you have, if somebody if everybody's pushing hard, like you, you sell out a show, a thousand people, a $10 ticket, buying a $300 guitar for somebody is a total, it's worth it. You know, and that, that kid gets a guitar. We all sign it. I mean, we like a couple times we took people out for like, um, bowling with EFE. I mean, there was all sorts of ridiculous, fun things that we did. Like it was at least fun for us. Hopefully it was fun for them too. But yeah, bowl, I remember we took a girl named Ruba bowling for it with EFE. Um, we gave away MP3 player one time. I mean, you know, there was all sorts of just, it was always like, and I think, I, I think, I feel like I was, and, and I, I say I, but we were ahead of the curve on marketing. Like we were doing things five to 10 years ahead of where, like today, everybody gets all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But this is, this is 2005 through 2000, you know, 2003 maybe through 2008. And we were doing it all back then before everybody else was doing it. So it was super effective. It wasn't like, you know, oh, it's just a marketing thing. It's like, no, this is, I mean, and it was fun. And we we were super involved with the fans. We'd always spend tons of time hanging out, talking to people, answering everything. And and yeah, I don't know. I don't, that may not answer your question, but oh, no, marketing was always a big part of it. Yeah. And it, it was super fresh at the time. I mean, it wasn't common. Johnny Cupcakes is a great inspiration because he was doing something yeah. really, really unique already. And right. um. Now, like you said, people sort of know, like, you don't have to worry about the gatekeepers. You can go on Amazon, publish your novel. You can do all these things, but it's right. it's easy to forget that it wasn't that long ago that there really wasn't all of these, um, there weren't all these systems in place to really do it on your own. Like, right. Like, how easy is it to put out an album on on Spotify through TuneCore or DistroKid today? It's like a couple of clicks and you're in. But back oh, then, right. like, it's not that. It wasn't that. And it was like, yeah, putting out your own things, was it was a it was tough and it, you know, you couldn't just blast it out to people. So that, but that was part of it. So like, we're like, we're just this will, and I'll, I'll get to this more in a second, but it was always like, let's do the opposite of what everybody else is kind of doing. Mm -hmm. Cause with escape from earth, we kind of played the game. We, we tried, you know, we built up a fan base. Like, cause the labels say, Hey, we want to see fans. We want to see some sales. We want to see, you know, work with the big producer, good songs, blah, 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 good pictures, promo. So we did all that we could sell out plays. We worked with all the big producers and we still couldn't get a record deal. So it was kind of like, let's do the opposite of what they told us to do in some respects, you know, uh -huh. like let's forget you. We don't need a record label. We're going to do all these things ourselves. And, um, are you familiar with Oh Hush, my project Oh Hush? Or yeah. No? So that's what I like. 
I thought we'd get there, okay. and then um, yeah. love to hate your music is the like business, the company, correct? Yes, hate to love your music. Yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, right on. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I wanted to make sure I dove in a little bit and I mean, cover back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, following along just because we've been connected for so many years, but like you know, yeah. loosely. You don't always see everything. Yeah. You don't know everything that's going on. Um, right. 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 So yeah, before we zoom forward on there. Um, yeah. What did young Chris aspire to do? Did you aspire to be a rock star? Did you were you like naturally musically inclined? Like sort of what did you expect? So my earliest memory of of what I wanted to be at career day, um, second grade, no, first grade, first grade, uh, I wanted to be a magician. And it's like written in some book. So I was like, wait, I was off by like two letters. Magician, change it to M-U-S. <laughs> musician. So I just, I think maybe I was just a little off, but I did want to be a magician. Eventually. Apparently I always wanted to be a performer of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like I grew up in white suburban park Ridge where everybody goes to college and gets a real job. And so like, you know, my parents are, are college educated people and all that. So it was, you know, music. I, I, I as a, as a, as a teenager, I, I love music. And I, I didn't think it was maybe attainable to be like a, musician or rock star or anything like that. Um, but it was always a huge passion and I put a lot of time into it. Um, you know, and then when it was time for college, it was okay, well, time for college. What do you want to study? So I'm, I'm studying accounting at university of Illinois. Cause I don't know, I'm good at math and whatever. And, and my parents, that's a, that one my parents would like. And by the way, this was kind of the story that got us the Coke MTV gig, like this whole uh-huh. thing, <laughs> tell them that. But, um, so, you know, but then in college, I kept writing, kept doing stuff. And then I graduated, I got a job. I worked at Arthur Anderson, which was like maybe one of the top few places you could work as a CPA, um, which is ridiculous. I kind of can't believe I did that. But anyway, and, and then I, uh, after a couple of years, I'm like, wait, I'm kind of, I hate this life. I hate this working all these hours. You know, there's a ceiling on the amount of money you can make and all that. Um, but it was, you know, music was really becoming a passion. And, and I remember I called my friend, Rob Kleiner. I was like, what do I need to do to get a band and figure this thing out? And he, he's like, listen, you need to just, it needs to be your life. It needs, I know you have a day job. You come home at five, you work till 2 a.m. every day. You go to shows, you meet people, you, you know, just, you have to throw everything into it. And real fast forward, I, you know, started Escape from Earth. And once things started getting good, it was like, I think we could be, you, you asked about young Chris, but it was like, it, I don't think it was, Young Chris wanted to be a, a rock star. You know, when I was in, in high school, we played at the V show and we did enter Sandman or something like that. And nice. it was, it was, and I, and I always wanted to be that, but I don't think I actually thought it was attainable until I was maybe like 23, you know, like just out of college, like, Oh, maybe I can get this band going and maybe it's actually attainable. So young Chris wanted to be a rock star. Young Chris probably, I was probably practical enough to go, Oh, this is probably not attainable. Um, but then when like, I got a glimmer of it, I was like, oh, maybe this is something that we can actually get there and I can, you know, get to that point with, and, and, you know, somehow here I am, but yeah. <laughs> so I think I, after, other than magician, then it was rock star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when escape from earth was, uh, we're not going to sit on escape from earth too much. Longer, it's okay. I, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, when that started to be profitable. Like sort of what was the point that you transitioned from, okay, I have a job and I do this into this is what I do and what I'm going to do. Profitable? What are you talking yeah. about? 
I mean, it's 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 not that it was never profitable, but I think when you're when you're with a band, any money you make goes right back in. Mm-hmm. So it's nobody's sitting there going, "Hey, we're doing this as a job," and 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 we can get to that more later. But um, you know, at first, it's investment because it's like we don't have anything going on. We have to buy gear. We have to um, buy merch. You know, and you hope to sell some of it. Um, we have to pay producers to record, and we have to you know, it's by a you rent a van to go play a show. There's, there's no, I, I don't know that anybody would. Yeah. I don't, not that escape from earth didn't make a cent, but I don't think we, it was years before we actually started paying a little bit out. Like, Hey, here's 50 bucks. I remember actually one year, um, I can't, it was, it was in the, with Mike and Scott when they were in the band, uh, for at some point it was like, I bought everybody Nintendo DSs. I'm like, Hey, this is from the band money. This is your payment for the, the month or the, the six months or something like that. And when we're sitting in the van, we can play Mario Kart together. Nice. And, uh, you know, on like the, there's like you, sort of like a wireless thing back at, that you could play between. But anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't really profitable because you, you kind of keep putting money back into it. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. And I think, you know, that was some of the struggle with some, some of the other members and even myself, it's like, you know, people, that's why people quit music before they get to any level. Cause it's like, man, I can't make any money doing this. And it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta push through that dip. And most people quit in that dip and they go, man, I, I just can't do this anymore. Which is why if you come from money or if you have, you know, if you have money, you can, you can push through that longer than the average person. And that's where you lose a lot of people in the music industry who are super talented, but they just can't figure it out. And they go like, I got to, you know, I want to have a life. I want to get married. I want to do something else with my life. And I just can't make $0 anymore. So uh, anyway, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah. There's, (laughs) did you end up, were you working at the same place then throughout escape from earth? So, so I worked at Arthur Anderson, um, Probably almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I quit after a few years, like like three years over there. And then I, I went over to one of my clients, which was a little easier, less hours, uh, a little more flexibility. Uh, and then it was like, cause actually I was just having this conversation with a co-writer of mine. He's, he's got a day job and we just had, we just got this, this placement in a pretty big placement on a commercial. And he's like, when did you know that you could kind of quit your, your job and become a full-time musician? And I'm like, from at least for me, it wasn't like, Oh, I got enough money. I'm done. It was sort of a slow ramp down of working. So like I, I I had, I worked at Arthur Anderson. Then I went to a client. Then I went to work part-time at a, at a, uh, actually it's my current accountant's place, like for, you know, three days a week. And then it was, you know, just busy season from like Jan to Feb, Jan to March. And then eventually it was, and that was over maybe three or four years of ramping it down. So it wasn't like, hey, I suddenly have enough money to do this. Also, I'm a little bit risk averse too. So it's like, okay, I want to make sure I have, you know, I'm making a little bit of money. So I'm not exclusively relying on music to pay the bills at, at that point. So sure. as the music money went up, I could, you know, whatever. As I'm sort of making more music, I could start doing less with my accounting work and, until eventually it was, but eventually it took, yeah, three or four years of, at least of kind of weaning myself off of that. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because, I think a lot of times we want to be like, oh, one day I'm going to start this and just succeed. It's It just happens. Yeah. I jump and it works. But so much, yeah. you have to lay the groundwork for anything, no matter what type of business it is, whether it's a band or like a typical brick and mortar or online business. There's so much any, work. Any kind, of, 
Anything. Yeah, I mean, like, exactly. And I think there are occasional cases where somebody has an instant either hit, success, whatever it happens to be, you know, like, but man, I don't think that's the, that's not the usuals. That's, that's pretty rare, I think. So I think a lot of people, that's why a lot of people are like, man, I just want to quit my job. I'm like, maybe just cut back your hours, maybe find a little easier job. Maybe, you know, and, and like a lot of employers, if you're a good employee, they know you're a music, like tell them, Hey, can I, can I start working four days a week instead of five or, or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and just wean yourself off of that. And that way you still have money coming in. Cause the other side of it is if you just quit your job and go, okay, now I'm going to be a musician or I'm going to do a startup or entrepreneur of some kind, then suddenly you got all this pressure on you to succeed. Mm -hmm. And then you might not make the right decisions. You'll be making short-term decisions instead of longer term ones. And you know, you run your business into the ground and then you're like dejected. You go back to your day job. You're like, okay, I can't do that. As opposed to take it a little slower. I don't know. That's the way I did it. It, it, it can work different ways, but that's what worked for me is taking it slower. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah. for me, I actually lost my job. So that's what I, dumped me right into the entrepreneurial world. But I had been spending years building up relationships and connecting with people. So day one, I was able to reach out and be and start helping people. And that was something. Right. That was because, that? What's that? Was that from COVID or was that was that was that? Years oh no ago? no no. This is yeah. This is uh, two thousand nine. Yeah, because I've been okay, yeah, so, right. solo for the last decade or so. So, yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. And that, actually, let me, uh, to, to that, I also, one of the steps I made was I got laid off from my job because a company got bought. That was one of my steps towards, okay, that was, I'm taken out of the, my full-time job. Then I went part-time. It was tough to make the decision. Probably the same thing maybe for you. It was tough for me to quit. Yeah. It was easier to be like, I got laid off. Uh -huh. So now I don't have to make that decision. Somebody made it for me and now I can... You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, I sense we're a lot, a lot alike because the I'm very risk averse. Like I, everything that I do is it's you have to have the creativity, but there's a lot of calculations that go into are we going to invest in this project or this yeah. this person or client even maybe we're investing in them trying to see uh, future future benefits on our side or things like that. Um, but I think yeah. it's just funny because you also mentioned magician that was totally on my list growing up. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. All right, I, I got a couple of tricks somewhere. I don't know. I uh, nice. you know still try to pull them out once in a while. Yeah. So let's jump forward, like to sort of now. And what? Okay. How would you describe Oh Hush? And how would you describe um, Hate to Love Your Music? So what? What so, is the gist of those? So Oh Hush. Uh, so let's go back. Actually, so okay. I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll move through it quick. But so Escape from Earth was the first iteration with with um, with Chris and Paul and and Andy, and then. We had, and then those guys, Chris and uh, Paul left. We added Scott and Mike. And then the next thing after Escape from Earth was, I'm going to start a solo project called Ohush. And I had Scott and Andy and other people help me out with it. But, um, and this was the ultimate middle finger to the industry. Like, I'm going to do everything the exact opposite of everything. So, like, Ohush was a secret band initially. I didn't, you know, nobody, I put up a picture of a, a it was like a fifties lady, this yellow, ugly logo. Um, I, I put out, I just put out songs and would, took zero pictures of the band. No, no names of any of the members of the band, zero touring. All the, these are all the exact opposite of what a record label wanted at the time, you know, zero, anything, but I marketed the heck out of it on MySpace, and, you know, we did unbelievably. So, I mean, the, the whole, I well, the songs were good and that was the key. Like it was good music. And, but then there was this buzz around who's in this band, who is it? What's, what is it? 
And and it, it got crazy. Like, is it is it a Fall Out Boy side project? Is it a Panic at the Disco side project? Which is crazy that those bands are still relevant today. But um, and we had crazy marketing scheme, not schemes, but just ideas where we like would sell merch. And then I I, I made a puzzle, and this is just one example. And I broke the puzzle into 50 pieces. So the first 50 people that bought this got a puzzle piece. So then it was like everyone got this puzzle piece. So they had to come together online, try to put this thing together online. And it was like a riddle that led to a new song. And like, again, stuff that I feel like today would be like, oh, that's cool. But this was kind it of, it was so pretty groundbreaking time. at the time. It really yeah. is. I mean, that just, as soon as you just started saying, because I knew Oh Hush was a secret project, but yeah. then you're deliberately doing everything the opposite. I mean, that that's baked in marketing. That's just, yeah. like you that's... through and through that that band, the, the solo project, grew from like your creativity and like i love that <laughs> yeah and, and i mean literally i i spent all day i mean like it was in the studio a little bit and then i was literally on myspace all day which was the, which was the arm of it at the time just commenting talking writing blogs you know whatever it happened to be so it was like you know 50 50 marketing and music and you know it's kind of same thing like put out a song every single month we had a song every month and just you know a lot of the things that today are commonplace but back then it was like man all like a new song every month wow this band is anyway um but so that led to a lot of record label interest and every like record label is like well we want to see the band and my manager's like there's no there's no band you're like well, what are we supposed to do with this you're like i don't know you guys figure it out we're we're blowing something up here we literally had like the number one blog on myspace several different times nice. and so it was hitting all the radars and they're like well we don't know what to do with this thing and we're like, fine, we're just going to keep going. We were actually making money with this project. It was a, it was, you know, something that was, so we're like, we don't need a record deal. We're, we don't, I don't like, I was kind of done touring and playing, like, unless it was going to be something that was on, you know, better terms, like, as opposed to riding in a van, you know, with 10 different dudes. And so I, it wasn't and like we wanted actually, a record deal. It was, how were you monetizing that then since you weren't touring, weren't doing shows? So it was, it was merchandise and and we would we would have a new merch item all the time and and we would it was like we always had like caps on it like we're gonna sell 100 shirts and that's it and they would go in like an hour they'd be gone and then we'd be like man we need to do more but like and then we got ultimately to a to a um to an album release so it was an album shirt like this is it's crazy i feel like i invented the cameo app about 10 years before it was invented <laughs> like one of the things i offered was i will leave an outgoing um, voicemail on your voicemail thing, or I'll do a personalized video saying hi or something like that as part of one of the packages, which is the cameo app, isn't it? Like that you can have a celebrity. I wasn't, a, I guess I was probably a celebrity to a few people, but anyway, we did all that stuff and, and we monetized it and we just monetized it with merch. We probably sold like, I don't know, 10 or 15,000 t-shirts. Like it was crazy, crazy town. <laughs> and um, so record labels didn't know what to do with it. Everybody wanted to see a show. We said, we're not doing shows, you know, so forget it. And then one girl just said, hey, I get it. Let me take it to my boss. And her boss was uh, again in Mike Karen. And Mike's like, I don't want to sign an effing secret band, but I love these songs. Can we do a publishing deal with with the, the singer? And I was like, yeah, I don't want to tour. I'm kind of done with the band thing. I love marketing and I love the music, but I'm not really that. I don't want to, I, I don't want to kind of go back into the band thing unless it's, like I said, it was, I was more of a prima donna, I think at that point. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I signed a publishing deal as, you know, which is publishing deals like for songwriting and stuff like that. So 
Um, I signed with Artist Publishing Group, Mike Karen's company, and uh, that was sort of the birth of Oh Hush, the writer producer. You know, still I still did the artist thing, um, but that was more like, hey, start writing and producing for other people as opposed to just my own stuff. Um, so your so your question was yeah that and then the, the sort of the business. So that that was the transition from artist to producer writer, and yeah. I can talk about that more. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, where's the line between Oh Hush and Hate to Love Your Music then? Is it just sort of all in the one okay. and the same? Or it's Yeah. Oh, Hate to Love Your Music is kind of just like the business arm of – it's kind of just where I run my business through. Like Oh Hush is the artist. Um, Hate to Love Your Music is kind of the business. But like it, they've kind of oh, – it kind of – it's sort of commingled at this point. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing though effectively. Like Oh Hush was a – brand and a band and now it's my producer name and writer name and hate to love you it's kind of my like i don't know yeah it's sort of the business side of it maybe even a publishing arm a little bit yeah was there what was the impetus for that name for which one hate to love your music or yeah yeah so um when i was i was young i was probably a teenager my mom i can't remember what she said she said something about hating to love something and i was like oh Great. So I wrote actually it, be, it was first a song that um, a band pre Escape from Earth uh, wrote called hate, it was called Hate to Love You. So it was like a Beatlesy kind of song. I hate to love you. Um, real super pop song. It sounds like it could be an angry song. But it was a super pop song. And then I liked it. And I'm like, oh, I'll just make that my uh, my sort of business name. And it was my publishing company for a while and all that, too. So, yeah, that's where it, and it's somehow my mom is always like. She used to tell us to oh hush in the basement, it's like you know, and yell at us to oh like we're making too much noise. We're like, all right, there's another. She would say oh hush, Chris. So I remember my screen name on AIM for a while was oh hush, Chris, and then I was like, oh oh hush, maybe that's a cool band, and that's where yeah yeah. So, so my um, mom, <laughs> nice. <laughs> would you? Uh, what was that transition like then? So you were writing for yourself, you were performing, you were doing all this, then suddenly you're writing for other people. Was was there a big yeah. learning curve? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it was, I, and I think when I was when I was in Escape from Earth and doing Oh Hush as an artist, I think my long term goal was always to be a writer producer. But I felt like that's what old older people do, and I like you know I just thought that would be something later on down the road. So it kind of happened quicker than I wanted or I thought it was going to happen, and ironically starting at 20 these days doing that is a, is a good idea because you get a head start. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the transition was, was, it was big. It was a lot of a learning curve. And, and I mean, so like for me, it was like used to writing with my band members or my, I just write by myself or write with band members as a, as a songwriter, suddenly you're in the room. Like I'd go out to LA for a week and I would do 10 different sessions with 10 different people. And you're just like, you meet them and you write a song. And at first that was like, kind of intimidating like I, I was in the room with you know day one i was in a room with a dude who's got like demi lovato cuts and you know he's a superstar and i'm just like this idiot from chicago who was in kind of a rock like sort of pop band and i and like what you're are all supposed writers to like, you know, you're all writers correct yeah okay he's so he's a writer producer and yeah I'm, I'm, i was kind of more of a writer less of a producer at the time but yeah and it's like you know the talent levels unbelievable and so like at first I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, I suck. I need to like, <laughs> what am I even doing in this room? This guy's got, you know, platinum records on his wall and I've got like, you know, my Oh Hush project or something like that. The, I think the irony now that I see is when I, some of these guys that have become friends are like, dude, 
I was so excited to be able to work with somebody that was actually an artist at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was, you know, and I was excited to be able to work with people that actually were good, you know, or amazing actually. And I was just this kind of, I mean, I guess I was kind of a raw talent at the time, but not even that. I felt like I didn't, I didn't even belong in a lot of those rooms early on. It just felt like it was very intimidating. And, and you know what, the other side of that too, is I, I get, I was put in with a lot of the publisher I signed with is very urban, very like, you know, more, a little more rap, that angle. And so, so they signed up this, you know, guitar playing rock guy. And My apologies. I couldn't hear what you said. Well, Siri chimed in. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so it was, it was, it was weird for me. It, it like to be in those sessions and, and, and I, I now realize like, Oh, when you put people from different, walks of life and genres together, you get, you get some cool stuff sometimes. Cause it's like, wait, you mix a guy that plays guitar with a dude who's a rap guy. You know, I play him some guitar thing and then they create a loop out of it. And it's like, Whoa, I wouldn't, you know, like things that cool things can happen. But at the time it was weird for me and uh, just trying to adjust to, to working with different people. That was the other thing. Like I was working with different people every day and that was weird. You know, that that's hard to like every day you're in with a new person. You have to get to know them and write a song, you know, in five hours and have something that's good. It, it was it was tough. Um, but unbelievable, like boot camp. And after, you know, as time progressed, I got more comfortable, figured out sort of where my spot was. And, and you know, I, instead of working, working with different people all the time, you kind of find your group of people that, you know, you still want to work with new people to, to meet new people and all that, but stick with people that you've had, you know, you, you get and they get you and you can kind of have, you know, start, you can kind of hit the ground running with them a little bit more, but it's, it was a big transition though, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're not starting over then. Once you have a relationship, you sort of, you know, what people can bring to the table. That's really valuable. And right. Yeah. Today, like, I mean, when I'm setting up a session and it's different now, cause I work mostly remotely, but it's like, you know, I know that I, you know, I'm more the producer in, and I'm going to find a great singer in the session. And then maybe somebody who's a great lyricist and like that kind of combination. I know that you need to have that before I was just like, I've, you know, my publisher, or I would just book myself with people like this is, you know, Hey, we're both producers. Like, yeah, but we both kind of do the same thing. So mm. maybe this isn't going to make a great song. We're going to have a good time hanging and talking, but we're, you know, neither of us are the right singer for this song. And maybe we're, neither of us are, the right lyricist, but so you got to find people that have their spots a little bit. And yeah, it took a few years to figure that out though. Yeah. So are you still working with that company or are you doing stuff through your own network? How does that work? So, so I, I was signed to APG for like, yeah, through like a couple of years ago. Um, and it was unbelievable experience. There's all, you know, they got me a ton of great big placements and and I learned a ton, unbelievable experience. But um, then I, I just recently a year ago signed over with uh, network publishing. So it was a little smaller publisher. Um, they have a record label too. And it just, I, I've, I've sort of, I th this goes back to the escape from earth days. Like I've always been super involved in the business side of everything. And even my background is, is business too. So like I have a lot of my own relationships with music supervisors and directors and, um, TV, TV show people and, and people at Netflix and Nickelodeon and Disney and, and all those types of things. And so network offered a little bit more like flexibility on me being able to kind of chart my own way. They, they do a lot, but then I kind of have freedom to do a bunch of my own stuff as well. So yeah, it, but they're, they're great. They're, they're great as well. And, and it's, yeah, so far it's been great. Yeah. What, 
do you have any advice for uh, building the network? Because that is, it's everything. And I mean, here, just going down the list, just because we haven't really touched on it, just looking at your Wikipedia page for, uh, oh, hush, you've done the Lego Batman song, Lego Ninjago. Um, you've worked with Weezer, CeeLo, uh, Jason Derulo, and a bunch of other people. And I imagine you find those connections and you, through your network, you're you're sort of building these relationships and connecting with, I mean, some really big brands and uh, artists. Yeah, and I think that was the thing. Like when when I first signed at APG, um, they were great about like, hey, we're gonna walk you over to like there was a joint venture with Warner Chapel, which is Warner Brothers. We're gonna walk you over there and you're gonna meet with these people, and and you know, so I'd meet those. But like, I think a lot of people that were also signed over with me, they'd take that meeting and that was it. To me, it was like, oh, I just have a, I have a new person here and I'm going to email that person every six weeks and see what they're looking for and see what they might have work. And, and I think most people just don't do that kind of thing. They're not very proactive. It's, it's maybe just a musician thing. Um, but I was super proactive about maintaining relationships and asking them, you know, so every time I met somebody, it wasn't like a one and done. It was like, oh, this is my new, you know, my this is a new friend I can work with going forward. And, and yeah, I mean, they're all great people too. So it was like, these are just new friends that I'm going to work with. And literally every step of the way, that's the way I always kind of approached it. And, and like you, you know, you, you go through, like I think about, um, so like the Lego Batman stuff. So um, I, when I was at APG, they hired a, a music supervisor named Gabe Hilfer. I met with Gabe. He placed a couple songs. I constantly followed up with Gabe and talked to him. Well, he left APG, you know, several years after like he left, he left maybe in 2015, but he was a guy I kept in touch with. And then in 2017 or whenever that Lego thing happened, he just called me and said, Hey, um, you know, we need a song for the end credits of Lego Batman. Do you want to give it a shot? Like, okay. You know, and then he's like, yeah, we had Julia Michaels try and, and Justin Tranter and all these big names and nobody wrote. Them. I'm like, well, if they didn't do it, how am I going to do this thing? <laughs> and anyway, the super long story short there is, you know, I wrote, got the song there and, and it was, but that was a guy that I had met five years before, you know, on just a quick meeting somewhere that I kept in touch with. And then, it, so then I nailed Lego Batman for him. Then when they're doing Lego Ninjago, Oh, let's call Chris up. We got stuck on the end credits. So they call me up and, and same thing. Well, the director on both of those movies, the same guy, that director is not working on a movie um, right now. And he calls me up and says, Hey, I need two songs for this movie coming out with Chris Pratt. And can you work on it? So like, you're, you're, you're totally right. It's not, it's a, it's, it's kind of like compound interest. Like, you know, you, you build it up and it just keeps compounding and, and, and you can't just like, Again, you have to take, be proactive about maintaining those relationships and, and, you know, and there's other times those guys have called me for stuff that I didn't nail for them, but I always take a shot and I try to deliver something that's quality so that even, even if it doesn't hit this time, the next time they'll still call me up and go, Hey, give it a shot. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, like, that's, a, I, I always say like a career is, it's not like one little thing. It's all those little things that happen along the way. And that's why there's like very few like, boom, instantly you're a huge success. It's like, well, I can go back to 2008 and, and give you the, the, yeah, the chain of events that happened to lead me to the Lego Batman thing. So, yeah. And yeah. That's why I'm doing this podcast is everyone, every business, every entrepreneur, no matter what people are doing, the journey is completely different. And there's so many little bits yeah. along the way that 
I feel like a lot of times people try to like maybe create a course and like, this is how you start a business and like follow these four steps. And like that stuff I don't like, but I love diving into the stories just to sort of showcase that, no, this is, there is so much that went into it. And some of the stuff got you where you are today. Some of the stuff were maybe learning experiences and all sorts of stuff that's happened. Um, So I heard something, I think you were talking to uh, James Van Osdell about Lego Batman. And did you run into some issues (laughs) with that? Um, because you were, you were like, there was some story along the lines of, uh, will or not rapping and things when you were producing that. Yes. So, okay. With him. Uh, so it's, it, it literally was like Christmas Eve and we weren't sure if will or not was going to do the rap or like the, the other. So me and this other guy sang on the song and he had sung the rap right now. Like, we think we're going to get will to do it. Like movie comes out in like six weeks. I'm like, I think they have oh. to have it in the can by Christmas day. So on Christmas Eve, they're like, Hey, we got Will in the studio and he's going to, he's going to cut the vocal. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm in Chicago. He's in LA. Like, can you Skype into this thing? I'm like, or zoom or whatever it was at the time. And I do. And you know, Will Arnett kind of crazy. He's there and he's in the vocal booth and he's singing. So they're, they're like, okay, he's got the, he's got the part and they're trying to give him the track to rap over. And he's like, I can't do it. He's like, it's too hard with the music and all that. So he's like, let me just say the rap in free space, in air. And I'm like, and you know, like the guy and the the the, the, the director's there and there's other people for the movie there. They're like, oh, sure, that's fine. Yeah, just do it like that. And I'm sitting there and the, other, the, the guy who's on the other end of the call, who's the engineer in the session, he, me and him are both like, oh, this is going to be brutal because like <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There's a beat that he has to be on and he's not going to be on it if the music's not playing. So they would just like, play him, you know, like one measure of the thing and, you know, darkest, you know, I, I can't remember what the rap is, but anyway, they'd play him the little thing and he'd just repeat it back like 10 times and they would just track the whole thing. And, but he, he wasn't singing it to music. He was singing it just free. And like, I'm sitting there like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. So that they, they, uh, after whatever, I mean, you know, the whole time he's like ad living, he's doing he's hilarious. It's super funny guy. And, but you know, after like 20 minutes, like, Oh, we got it. And I'm like, I have no idea if we got it. Like maybe I can't, it's not over music. And like, you know, he's ready to go. It's Christmas Eve. He wants to get the heck out of there. And anyway, we, so he's out of there. We get the file back and I had to kind of like, it's, it's actually very easy to manipulate files and pro tools, but it was still like trying to get it on the grid and make it sound like it was real. And, um, we got it there. It sounds it sounds great. He sounds amazing on it. He's got an unbelievably cool voice. Um, but it was yeah, that was like literally on Christmas Eve. I'm I'm working on this thing, trying to get it done, and <laughs> but whatever it takes at that point. We literally were like seventy revisions into that thing, and it was crazy. I'm like, okay, if we can get this thing done, I can enjoy Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> and being that you're a singer, yeah. then, and like you've done all of this the first cut of these i'm assuming you're singing the lyrics or maybe like the like demo like what does that process look like yeah so so like the first thing was i had a track laying around i literally just wrote a quick chorus to it sent it to the the music supervisor he played it for the director and he's like we love it i'm like really (laughs) you know (laughs) like change one line but you know no go write some verses so then it was okay, I got to write some verses. So I, I called my buddy, Jeff Lewis, and, and he wrote a bunch of verses for it. I wrote a couple verses for it. Um, you know, and they kind of gave us like, actually, he gave me a rough cut of the movie to watch, which was unbelievable, like super cool to see. Like, 
it's sort of there, but there's like some things that are not done. It's just like a, it's really rough. Um, so like I'm trying to, you know, then I'm watching old Batman stuff to try to get inspiration as well, which was kind of fun. And then, you know, we sent him, here's the lyrics and here's the verses in, in the director, the director's unbelievable. He's an unbelievably creative dude and he's great. He's very hands-on. So he literally went through all the versions and like picked out, Hey, I like this part. I like, don't like this part. And you know, then we'd have conference calls weekly to talk about, you know, all the movies changing a little bit. Like we can't talk about selfies, even though it's there, but we're, you know, like, so he would have lyrical suggestions or sometimes just like, you know, we want to highlight Robin's, you know, effervescent dressing. I don't know, whatever. Like he'd have different things that he would throw at us. And it would, it changed a bunch. Like in, in the, the hook, the line in the chorus is you're my best friend, my best friend, but friends are family. He wanted to change it to bat friend at one point. And they were like, everybody's like my bat friend, like, uh, you know, but he was like, can it be bat, bat friend? And like everybody, I was like, no way. But everybody else in, on his side was like, no way. So, but we tried, we tried out a bunch of stuff like that. He's like, just sing it one time. Um, so we literally went back and forth a lot of times. I think literally there was probably about 70 versions of, of the song. And it would just kind of keep chipping away at it and getting it closer. And then it was, okay, we need a rap. And then we wrote a rap and, oh, we like some of the rap. And then they had one of their guys, on um, the writers, like rewrite the rap. And then they wanted them to, us to take the lyric and make it work. And then we'd give them what we did and they'd tweak it. And yeah, it's a very collaborative process, which is, which is cool. Like it was awesome to like kind of see how a movie gets made. And, and again, like working with this guy, one of the last things, that happened maybe day before Christmas Eve. He's like, hey, we need a guitar solo in this song. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I do this guitar solo. He's like, great. Now, this is the director. He's like, now, he's like, it needs to be one third Batman, one third Alfred, and one third Joker. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, each of them would have a different guitar, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so then it was like, what guitar would Alfred have? He's like 70. So he'd play a, like a, it would be a more of a classic guitar sound. Batman is like a metalhead, so he'd have like whammy bars and all that stuff. And the Joker is like probably funky Prince or something like that. So like funkier guitar. So, and that was like he kind of his idea. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And like, and up on the screen during the credits, you know, Batman or Alfred, it's different. It's each of them doing it differently, and it really works. Like at first you're like, this guy's creating so much work for me, but then when you see it, you're like, oh those were great little details that this dude nailed and, and having each of the different guitars for each of their parts was really cool. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That level of creativity is just so inspiring. Like just being around yeah. people who have that energy and like have the vision, like I'm sure the collaborative process for other projects too, has that similarity where people just chime in with something that maybe is completely off the wall, unexpected, but it just, it just works. Um, totally. That's what, that's what makes it fun though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When it comes to yeah. movies and uh, you've done a lot of commercials, how do those uh -huh. processes differ? Is it, is there a difference to them? So, so commercials are, it could be, it could be anything. Like it could be, I've had stuff where literally I just wrote a song for a song just to, just to have a song. And like, you know, then when somebody's reaching out to either me or my publisher, they're like, Hey, we're looking for a song. That's something about, um, I'm trying to think of something I did. Uh, I don't know something about like uh, shine. 
whatever. If, the, if that's, if my song happens to exist in the, Oh, we'll pitch that one. And, and it's just a song that exists that gets pitched. Um, there's other ones like, like a couple of my Nutella songs. Um, one of them is called spread the happiness. So, <laughs> so Nutella spread, um, they said that, Hey, we want a song for Nutella and it needs to be like a, you know, very positive song. So me and my, my co-writer, Hannah Ashbrook, you know, we kind of sat down and like, okay, well, like we had happy place we had done like, uh, what about spread the, ha-? again, we started thinking about Nutella spread, spread the happiness. So we literally sat down and wrote, you know, spread the happiness specifically for Nutella. So it, like, it's, that one's kind of fun. Cause it kind of works like spread. The happiness is just on the surface without, without a spread, it still works. Like, Hey, be somebody that spreads the happiness, but the meaning for Nutella or, you know, a peanut butter or something is, is perfect. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so that happened. And then I have a Clorox spot out right now. Um, a song called endless possibilities that, uh, like a year ago, Olive Garden came to my publisher and said, Hey, we need a song about the Olive Garden, uh, the buffet. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, there's endless possibilities at the, you know, so we wrote endless possibilities for Olive Garden. It didn't land in Olive Garden. And then a year later, you know, Clorox comes to him and says, Hey, we, we want to like feature like the, like the, like the possibilities that kids, like the, a lot of the commercial is kids, you know, just exploring different things. So like what we need a song that explores all these different possibilities. And like the guy's like, Oh, I got a song. It's perfect. So that's actually how, how it works. A lot of times, like you'll write something specific for something else. It doesn't land there, but then subsequently there's a perfect use for it. That's happened so many different times on, um, I, yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that I've done that that's that's the way it worked. It, the initial thing you wrote it for doesn't hit, but then a year or three years later, suddenly it's perfect for something else. Yeah, and that's the beauty because you're, everything is still in like reality. You're not saying like Clorox is clean. It, like the lyrics aren't like so obvious and like on the nose, right. which is great. Um, what... so when people, when not, you bring that up, sorry, like, because I occasionally will get those projects and I used to, I did one for Crest. And the chorus was supposed to be my teeth are yellowing. And I was like, for, for Crest White Strip. So I did this song, my teeth are yellowing or my smile is yellowing. And then like, of course it didn't go for that. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do these projects anymore because what am I going to do with that song ever again? Mm-hmm. So yeah. When that doesn't, doesn't go work. through then, um, did they, is that more of a, is it like spec work where you're pitching it and then seeing what happens or do they pay for um, the samples. It depends. It depends. And, and I'd say more often than not, it's spec or I, I you know, like historically it was 95% spec. Mm-hmm. Uh, more recently I can say no to more things. And I think, you know, maybe just, I have a little bit more of a track record so I can ask for a small demo fee or something like that. So yeah, if somebody comes to me with a demo fee and says, I want a song called my smile is yellowing. <laughs> okay. Well, if there's a little bit of money behind it, I know that if it doesn't go anywhere, I still at least get you know, there's a little something for my time. So more, it's a little bit more on, on demo fees now, but still it's a lot of spec work, but that's why I try to focus on songs that like spread the happiness or, or endless possibilities that I know can, can work and go in other, you know, for other things, or if it's just a great song, I could put it on myself at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to pricing, is that something your publisher works on or do you have to negotiate that? It's a uh, publisher. They, they do all the, um, they, 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 set the fees for the publishing side. I own my own masters. So me and my manager will, will do that. Um, yeah, it depends on the, on the project, you know, like there's, it's, it's a little bit of both and, and, you know, and that's where 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of negotiation in a lot of that. You realize how much wiggle room there is. Like, you know, sometimes you get offered X dollars and you come back with, I want five X and like <laughs> suddenly they find the money. You're like, I almost agreed to, you know, X and now it's five X and, or, or alternatively you ask for more and then they tell you to go blow and you're, you know, out of, uh, <laughs> out of the job. So yeah. But yeah, my manager and publisher handle most of that stuff. Yeah, pricing is so difficult when it comes to to any sort of business because it is it everything is fluid. Like we look at like store shelves and it's concrete, but most parts of the world are all negotiation. So if you're taking the, the totally. price on the shelf, it's like, oh no, that isn't actually where they expected to uh, what they expected to earn or pay. Not to mention the same exact thing, like the same song for the same level of product and same level of use or same movie or same whatever might be, like I said, three times higher in one. And, and it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. So pricing is like a, I mean, you got to try to, you know, it's the, it's the sweet spot between trying to make as much as you can. Like in you know, a lot of these things, like these movies have like $300 million budgets and they're like, Hey, we got like three grand for your song. Like what? <laughs> three grand for this end credit, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, in my business is, is a lot of, or it's, it's, it's mostly like, you know, it's a handful of big things that are my whole year. So like, it's not like I, I land a, a, you know, like every week somebody calls or or every, yeah, it's like one a month you get, that's a a bigger one. And you have to kind of make as much money on each of them as you can. Cause those are, yeah, it's not like, it's not like, again, I don't get paid by the hour. I don't get paid by the project and all that. It's when stuff lands. Yeah. And you only have so much time as, as a creator, as a creative um, so really, you have to figure out how to to scale that appropriately. Um, totally. I've heard about Spotify's monetization. Is that like, yeah. does it work? I mean, or do you have to be that like, uh, what was it, Pharrell with Happy? And he made like a couple grand or something. It's like, I like man, it's such a, I, I love Spotify. And I so I'm a shareholder too. And I always tell people, I'm like, if you think Spotify is ripping you off, buy stock. Cause it's going to go through the roof, right? If they're making uh-huh. so much money and it actually, it's like doubled this year. So I was like, nice. should have been buying Spotify stock. Anyway, um, if you own your own, so if you're signed to a label, the label puts the music out through Spotify, the label collects a lot of that money. So they, cause they negotiate directly with the label and they, they collect a lot of it. So you make kind of peanuts if the label has it, but if you are putting it out as an independent artist, you make like, maybe point point oh four cents a spin, which is not terrible. Like if you have, I don't know what the math is on that, but it's like, if you have like a, let me just do it real quick. If you have a million spins times point oh four, so you'd make $4,000 every million spins. Like, you know, like 500 million spins is not that on like or 100 million. Spin, I mean, like there, I think there's money to be made, not to mention it's so easy to do it. You can put out stuff all the time. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I don't, I, people that complain, I'm like, just get with, like, figure out the game, stop giving up your, like, put out music yourself. Mm-hmm. If you think, cause it's, I, I don't think Spotify is ripping people off. I think the record labels are, are ripping off the people that are not ripping off, but they're collecting all the money. So you need to negotiate with the label. If they're going to, if you wrote a song for the label, you need to negotiate with them with your contract with them to get more of that Spotify money. Cause the money's there. It's just, if it's through a label, the label's going to take 95% of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I like, I love Spotify. It's the best thing that's ever happened to music as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, and as a uh-huh. user, I love it. It like I obviously have no yeah. other experience beyond being a subscriber, but it's phenomenal platform. It's great, right? Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like as both a as both a user and a, like a listener and a cr- content creator, you can't beat it. I don't yeah. know. I think it's it's, it's the best thing that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it democratized music to the nth degree where anybody within like if I want to put out a song by tomorrow, I probably could have it up and boom, done. <laughs> what is your so length of time wise? Um, how long would you normally like on average spend on a song? Oh man. Uh, like it's, it's, it's never like start Monday and Wednesday or like occasionally rarely it is, but like, you know, a lot of times it's somebody needs something and I have, I have an instrumental track that works, but it doesn't have the right lyrics. So I'll send the track to a writer who will write and sing it. So I'll have the track laying around. And then that person will write it and I'll, I'll mix it. It's probably like a, I mean, it takes like three to four days of, of or maybe 20 hours is the right number or 25 hours on average, but that can be spaced out over months or years. Yeah, so for sure. I might make the track in five hours one day, six months later, somebody writes something to it. You know, we mix it, we work on it. Then there's revisions and it sits for another six months and we rewrite it. You know, there's a lot of like, my catalog probably has a thousand songs and, and you know, there's a lot of like, I have something that's close. So maybe we can repurpose this old song for this spot. You know, it's like, it's a little less glamorous than like, you know, I like I'm, I'm past the days of like, this is my art. This is the song. I'm not, you know, that's it. And it's like, somebody needs something needs to be a little different. We'll change it. We'll, we'll, you know, I don't know. It's, again, it's like the, the cost of making a living, making music. It's fine. I don't care. Like I'm nothing's precious really to me at this point. There's very few things that are precious. I'm just happy to get art that gets heard by people in a, you know, like these brands and movies and even, even artists for that matter. Like when, you know, Weezer cut the song there, they made a bunch of changes to what we worked on. It's totally fun. I just want people to hear the song. It's great. You know, and it's not, wasn't our exact initial vi- vision of it, but mm-hmm. who cares? And so, I didn't even ask this, but a Grammy nod, like a nomination. What was that like? Cause like, I got two of them. Oh yeah. Cause it's, uh, I think I have it right here too, isn't it? Uh, was it Weezer and CeeLo? Yeah, Twilight. And, yeah. Like the first one was, I mean, like the CeeLo thing was my publisher. I'm in LA. This is like a great, so I'm in LA. He's like, hey, Twilight needs a song for Gnarls Barkley. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. He's like, and I, he's like, I got a title for you. I'm like, okay, cool. He said, is what part of blank don't you understand? He loves catchphrases. So he, he, he says like, you know, people say like, what part of no, what part of whatever don't you understand right or what what part of like clean the dishes don't you understand whatever so he said just put in come up with a blank you know come up with something to say that fits for twilight so i come back to to park ridge and uh my buddy rob kleiner who's a successful producer too he i went to high school with him huge Niles barkley fan so i'm like i'm calling this dude up we're gonna figure this thing out so we get together and i had read all the twilight books up and like uh-huh. up and down <laughs> so i knew them all super Super cool. And uh, we just like in a day, we in a day we came up with the music. Uh, and then the next day I'm like, the whole, like the whole, have you, are you familiar with the Twilight books? Um, not the books. I did see the or, movies. Or movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So whatever. So the, so, the, so the vampires live forever. So I was like, what part of I love you forever? So I initially was like, what part of I love you forever? Don't you understand? And I'm like, no, what part of forever? And, and so that was like, that was a good, like we wrote the track in one day, we wrote the, 
vocal the next day. I literally sent it to my publisher that night. I sent it to my manager too. My manager said, this sucks. Don't even send it in. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to send it in. Next day, my publisher says, this is unbelievable. I'm going to play it for CeeLo right now. Like later that night, CeeLo loves it. He's cutting it tomorrow. That one. So we wrote it in two days. Within one week, CeeLo had cut the song. Okay. And then by maybe 10 days later, they played it for the Twilight people. And they're like, this is perfect. It's in the movie. Like, <laughs> like unbelievable. And like, it, really by the way, is. it never works that way. It never works that way. But it worked that way that time. Mm-hmm. And my buddy was like, oh, this is so easy. We write a song. It goes into a huge movie. And then, you know, then, of course, it got, it was like, the, it came out. It was number two, number two album the week it came out. I think Glee beat it. And then we got nominated for a Grammy on it. Just yeah. Wild. That was my first thing that happened too. It's like I signed my publishing deal and within a, you know, six months or a year, I got a Twilight, CeeLo and a Grammy now. I'm like, geez, what? That sets the bar a little high, doesn't it? For the first yeah, year. Right. So that, right. And then I was like, the next year I didn't get nominated for a Grammy. I'm like, oh, I'm taking a couple steps back here. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I don't It's, it's, it's weird. I mean, yeah. So that was, that was the, that's the two day, write a song in two days. There's write a song in two years too. So yeah, I don't sure. know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Goes both ways. Oh yeah. Um, not to take too much more of your time. This is, this has been awesome, but yeah. just a couple more questions. Um, Go ahead. When, actually, I'm just going to jump to this one. If this was all a dream, so everything you've done so far is, isn't real. You wake up tomorrow. It's a brand new day. You have all the experience, all, everything is valid, but you don't have the connections you don't have the network and you don't have like the business in place. What, what do you think might be like your first steps to like restarting this in this world? So my skill level is where it's yeah, at. Everything's the same in terms of what you know and experience, but you were starting for whatever reason from the ground floor today. I would, I would probably find a new job. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would trade, I would, I would trade stocks. No, uh, <laughs> I, okay. That's a great question. I mean, I, I know I can, I mean, I it, like people always say reverse engineer, like where you want to be. Right. So like I already could reverse engineer. It's super easy. So I would, I would, you know, there's, I would start to try to find connections with the problem is, okay. I, I would know who to connect and how to connect with them. The problem is you have to have something going on and you said, I have nothing going on. Right. Or yeah, you're, you're starting at the, like, maybe let's see. Um, like I don't have thinking- any resume. Yeah, the business isn't where it is now. You like maybe you have the stuff okay. you've written in the past, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I if I have the songs from the past, that would be huge because I would say I I would know how to reach out to people. Um, I know how to track down email addresses. I know how to connect with people on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think I know how to like kind of sell what I can do and you know be not a pest, not as much, not enough of a pest to piss them off, but bug them enough to stay on the radar. I mean, if I had the songs laying around that I have today, I think with all that, I could open those doors pretty quickly. Like you said, first, my first step would be just to kind of like figure out what my best songs are, you know, maybe a top, like a, a, a demo reel of like five or 10. I, I kind of have that, but I would have a, you know, maybe create a website or something like that, which I, or I, do I have a website or no? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Recreate. Yeah. Okay. Recreate, recreate the website, like get my songs ready. And then like, I would do kind of like a, a spray pitch to like publishers, managers, artists, music supervisors, 
you know, I probably try to track down a hundred different people and over the course of a month, like fire out emails to those people and, you know, just tell them, Hey, here's what, here's who I am. These are some songs I've done. Um, I think I'm, I'd be, you know, great for your brand because I can this, or I'd be great for your movie, or I'd be great to write with some of your artists. This is my production skills. Um, it's funny the music business, half of it is resume. I think like, that's mm -hmm. like, Oh, who have you worked with? Who, you know, what are some of your things? So like, you know, fortunately I do have enough of a resume now where it's, I can say, Hey, you know, Lego Batman, like, Oh, my kid loves the movie. And, you know, so I've got an instant jumping off point with people or Weezer or something like that. So that's huge. So I would imagine a lot of people probably wouldn't give me the time of day, but I could definitely get a few of those doors open. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I might also switch gears and put out some of my music. Um, I don't release that much of it unless it's like, like like the Clorox song, we get it in the commercial and then we release it on Spotify because we got a you know something's pushing it. We'll get some sales on it. Um, I don't release music though that that's not out there because it's like well some brands just want to have unreleased songs and then you know that that's cooler to them and then the, they kind of launch the song. But if I didn't have anything happening, I might put out more songs. I might go back to artist Chris a little bit too mm -hmm. and 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 build that back up because I like when people say, how do you go get a publishing deal or how do you succeed? I, like I tell them the best way might be just to be an artist and put out your own music and try to create a buzz yourself uh, for yourself on yourself. And you know, that's like, a, you know, that'd be a great way to like, Hey, my Spotify, I've got, you know, a half million or I've got a hundred thousand Spotify listeners a month. Like that would be a good statistic to start telling people and you could open doors with something like that. So actually I think I might go back I might go back to just starting with putting stuff out myself because I would be I would try to hit up all those people I talked about sending out emails, but it would probably be a slow, a slow go. So I would start to put out music myself and rebrand. Oh, hushed. Even it didn't exist. So I'd know how to do it. and I just do it again. Yeah, that hustle. That is the <laughs> thing, I think. Um, to instill in people that that's, that is what it takes. I mean, if you're starting from the ground totally. floor, you got to build up that network. You got to put in the, the work because no one's going to hand anything to you. So yeah, totally. I love that. Just knock on as many the doors as you, you can. You can, can out-hustle. I, like, I think I, I was always a better hustler. I feel like my hustle is better than my talent level. And and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I, like, I, I, it, my hustle has always exceeded my talent. My talent, whatever. There's people that are way more talented than me that don't hustle that are not as successful. And it's not. It's just they don't. Either they they're not. They don't hustle, or they don't know how to. Maybe it could be that. But I, I mean, it's a, it's like fifty fifty. I feel like it's they're both so equally important. And and you can make up for lack of talent with with you know outworking people. I think too. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, not to take any more of your time. Thanks so much for doing this. This is great. Oh, good. No, um, thanks for having should, me, man. Yeah, where should people go to uh, follow along with what you're up to? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, my website's actually not done yet. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I, like Instagram, Chris Cernel, C-H-R-I-S-S-E-R-N-E-L is a good one. Uh, yeah, Twitter, Oh Hush Music. Uh, yeah, those are those are good places. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks yeah. again for doing this. This was awesome. No, thanks. And Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. We'll talk again soon. All right, man. <laughs> Sweet. See ya. See ya. A big thanks goes out to Chris for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out Oh Hush and what he's up to on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find those links in the show notes. 
As always, this episode of Start Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O to get started. Built. Your website, built for you, simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version of this show on YouTube. You'll find all the links for this episode at built.co slash 011. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O slash 011. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.